0: So it's John 1 1 to 18 in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God he was with God in the beginning through him all things were made without him nothing was made that has been made in him was life and that life was the light of all men the light shines in the darkness but the darkness has not understood it there came a man who was sent from God his name was John he came as a witness to testify concerning that light So that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light, he only came as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, He gave the right to become the children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him. He cries out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thank you. A round of applause for Liz. Wonderful. It's a big reading. Um, Very big reading. Hey, guys, um, so good to see you here. My name's John, um, and uh, together with Hannah, we get the privilege of leading this church and um, a real welcome uh, from us to you. We'd love to connect with you afterwards and uh, find out a little bit more about you. And uh, as Lucy said, we're starting a new series today. There's a drink over here. Um, uh, And uh, I am personally very excited. Uh, to be starting this series in uh, John, uh, the Gospel of John. I'd say probably one of my favourite books of the Bible, and I'm so looking forward to uh, journeying through this story, this wonderful account of the life of Jesus and his disciples, discovering some of its beauty and its depth and its, uh, its life-giving power. Uh, So just a tiny bit of kind of like framing it, particularly in the kind of grand narrative of Scripture. We did that uh, series at the start of the term, but just to kind of frame it, where we see ourselves land, and then we'll get into uh, specifically this reading today. Um, John is one of the four Gospels that we have in Scripture. The other three, Matthew, Luke, uh, and Mark, are called the Synoptic Gospels, Um, and Synoptic. Simply means seen together. It's like sin see, together, optic scene. Uh, like the three gospels contain many of the same stories and sayings and often kind of similar sequences of events and a narrative arc throughout it. But John is very, very different. As I'm sure if you've come across it before, you'll have noticed, where 90% of the content of Matthew and Luke are shared by Mark. of the gospel of John is unique and only to that gospel itself. One example of this would be the use of John's phrase to believe or believe. In Matthew, that phrase, that same word appears nine times. In Mark, eight times. In Luke, nine times. In John, 98 times as he say this phrase, to believe, to believe in the one. And John 20, chapter, uh, John ch- chapter 20, 30 to 31, um, almost like as a summary of the writer John's kind of, this was the reason that I wrote this to you. This was the culmination of my thinking. He says this, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not recorded in this book. He goes on to say, if there was, uh, there's not even enough books, there's not enough space, in the world to speak of this Jesus. And he says this, verse 31, but these are the written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of God, and that by believing in him, you may have life in his name. You see, John's gospel is not just telling you what Jesus did. It's not giving an account of his life, but it is telling you who Jesus was and why and therefore why you now require a response. He is preaching for a response to believe in this Messiah, this Son of God, the way, the truth, the life, ushering people, ushering us, its readers, into life in the Spirit. And like this gospel, it was written so much later than the other gospels, around 65, 90 AD, uh, by the disciple John right at the end of his life. It feels and reads like a kind of excitingly wild and wonder-filled journal by an old pastor who is reflecting on a life spent at the feet of Jesus. It's like his memoirs of this incredible moment at the turning of history. It's full of signposts, mystery, and that point way beyond it, but at the same time, it's probably the most readable, the most like novel-like gospel that we have uh, available to us. The North African theologian, St. Augustine's wonderful summary of this. It's deep enough for an elephant to swim and safe enough for a child to play. And so our plan over the summer is that we are going to be journeying through part one of this gospel. And then um, earlier, uh, early on in 2024, just as if like we planned that far in advance, welcome guys. Um, uh, we are going to pick this up again and go through the second half of the book and the um, readings are up there as well. And so I want to encourage you, take time uh, to read this scripture, this incredible story, this incredible account of the life of Jesus and his followers. And maybe particularly this week, maybe just sit with John chapter 1, particularly those first few verses. And so today, you'll notice the eager eyes amongst you on that last slide will notice that John 1, uh, 1 to 18 is not up there because that is the prologue of the book. Um, Hands up. Uh, If you could tell me which movie franchise this picture is from? No, literally no (laughs) one. Great. Not not an ironic question. Um, You know, this famous image, uh, uh, almost like a a national treasure, if you will, um, of James Bond, this opening sequence with this iconic moment. (laughs) You're welcome. The walk, turn, and shoot often to this epic song sung by one of the biggest recording artists in the world at the time with the signature chord progression uh, set over these moody, often psychedelic images and montages. Typically, two things are happening in these opening sequence to any Bond film, uh, which is this one. As soon as you see that barrel of the gun, you know where you are. You know the context of this film, even if it wasn't clear beforehand, that you are very much watching a James Bond film. Therefore, you can pretty much tell what's about to happen. Uh, number two, uh, this is happening. The following like montages that come over the in the sky, oh, uh, as that's happening, uh, you get these like clues and tells as if to say like here's some of the things that's happening here's the shard of glass that's going to be used to unpick a lock and uh, out of the submarine all that sort of stuff they're like these little cute clues and cues uh, that are coming and you're even introduced to some of the characters in that opening montage with less guns and less martinis this is exactly what the writer of John is doing. You're so welcome for that transition. Um, In this opening sequence, he's setting the context. He's giving some clues as to where we might be going. And he is giving an overarching framework of everything that he is about to say. And so for today, I want to look at uh, and kind of consider what some of those clues, some of that framework might mean for us here today as we set the scene for the rest of our uh, series to come. And so I've got three things to say today. And the first is this, in the beginning was the word. In the beginning. Sounds familiar, right? Probably one of the most famous lines in all of Scripture, taking us right back to Genesis 1, right back to the start of our story. In the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth. I'd say it's like familiar to us, probably most people in this room would be able to think, I think it's somewhere in Genesis, but in its original context and its original setting for that audience, I'd say it was much stronger than familiar. I'd describe it as a core memory. Like a core memory, uh, meaning an event or an experience that goes on to then shape that person or even shape that family or community. In the beginning was this core phrase that would have reminded them of their heritage. Would have taken them right back into the stories and the, and the accounts of uh, those shared around the table of faith and of, of God himself, the character of the one that they worshipped. I was uh, reminded of this this week uh, as um, we bought and got ourselves hold of um, this. Did anyone have this? Like, yeah, I think this can. This might be a generational thing. Uh, We're going to go with it anyway. Um, uh, This is the Australian Women's Weekly Children's Birthday Cake book. Um, uh, And this is a core memory for me. Almost all of my birthday parties and all of my siblings' birthday parties had, let me flick through, these like epic cakes. Of like all kinds of things. It's got the instructions. You can even like put the stencils in as how to cut out a pirate cake and things like that. Um, uh, so my mom, each time, would get uh, would we would flick through the book and would choose either one of the numbers or one of the themes uh, that we loved. It's such a strong moment uh, in my childhood. This core memory of celebrating and of feasting together. And it was so strong was the nostalgia of this book that I bought it. But also so strong was the nostalgia of this. book that when I was 18, I actually asked for the train cake on the front of the children's birthday cake. Being the youngest, I thought my mum now thinking like, gosh, she thought she was like clear and free uh, of that kind of effort, um, uh, but I insisted. Uh, so this week we got ourselves a copy of this and our uh, three-year-old started looking through it with on Friday, like bursting with excitement. I mean, like you can salivate over each one of these pages, especially if you're three. And um, Hannah and I were talking uh, about how we should really up our currently sub. Standard cake skills so that we we can create these core memories for our children. And we were talking about this in the kitchen. And at that point, especially when he found the pirate cake, our three-year-old literally stood to his feet and walked around the kitchen saying, I want core memories. I want core memories. I want core memories. Which was great. So now I'm hoping that my core memories are passed on via this cake book to my children. You see, in this use of this phrase, in the beginning, John is playing on that core memory of his audience passed down from generation to generation of a creator God who was in the beginning with the power to create life out of nothing, who spoke the world into motion, formed humanity in his image and his likeness. So in the using of this, intentional using of this phrase, he is wanting to say, this story that you are about to hear, this book that I write to you now is about that same God, that same creator, life-sustaining God, but in a new, wild, and glorious way. See John 1, 3, through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Whatever else comes next, the context is being set, is that John is wanting to show us that the creator God is acting in a new way towards his much-loved Creation is about the way in which this long story, which began thousands of years ago in generous in Genesis, will now reach its summit, reach its pinnacle in the telling of this story. This is what everything has been building towards, and the way in which we will reach that peak, reach that summit, is through the Word. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God. I've, um, I've learnt this week um, what the word homonym means. Can anyone else tell me what a homonym is? There's clearly some people, you don't want to, you don't want to be that guy. You're like, I actually know, John. <laughs> um, you, you can tell me afterwards where it's less embarrassing. But um, a homonym it is one word with multiple meanings. So one word that you can uh, use in a variety of different ways. Um, can you think of one? Can you think of a homonym now that you know what it is? Oh, what? What's that? Yeah. Pear. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I think it might have to be the sp- same spelling, but I can't think quick enough. Um, others. Let's have one more. Who wants to have a go at a homonym? Son. Sun. It's A bit different spelling. <laughs> it's quite hard, isn't it? Try. There we go. Try. You try at something. A try in rugby. Yeah, lovely. Um, I, I'm going to book. Yeah, lovely. We're going to curtail that there. Um, so I thought that was actually going to be quicker and easier. Turns out it's hard. Um, here's one. Here's the, here's the homonym with the most amount of uses. Is set. I'm going to try and use it in a sentence. There was a set designer who set up shop behind a set of stairs to watch a TV and a set of tennis. Yeah, lovely. Four, four times in one sentence. You're welcome. Got that from Google. Um, uh, the word which is translated, uh, the word here in Greek, you might have heard of it, it's this word Logos which is so rich in meaning, and it would have had multiple different aspects and understandings uh, for its original audience, which is probably why John uses this phrase to try and capture the vastness of all that is going on in this first five, six words. This word, logos, I just want to quickly pull out three Kind of different interpretations, different meanings, different things that it would be suggesting in the use of this word. Firstly, uh, logos would have been understood by the pagans to mean like rationality or like the reason uh, behind things. Like there is this principle which the entire cosmos which seems to be held together by. It's like something about the air and the gravity or even meaning and morality and how we should uh, respond and react to towards one another John is using this phrase to say that this logos, this reason, uh, this, this principle, is not this abstract idea that we cannot tangibly grasp hold of, but this logos is now a person and I would like to spend the rest of this book introducing you to him. So firstly, logos would have meant reason. Secondly, it would have been very closely linked to this idea and concept of wisdom. Uh, one, of the, um, one of the questions that the philosophers of the time would have been asking, bearing in mind this is pre-Jesus, is how can the one true God be both different from the world yet at the same time active within it? How can he be like holy and set apart and distinct yet also so close and intimate and at work and within See, John's answer to this um, uh, wisdom question, which I'd say a really quick meaning of wisdom in, spiritual, uh, in biblical terms would be the, um, uh, the capacity to see and understand life from God's perspective. The capacity to understand, interpret, uh, be able to relate to the world as if you're doing it through the eyes and lens of God himself. John is saying that that wisdom has made his presence known within creation. It is Again, it's not this untangible, distant, far-off thing, but that person has become uh, reality for us today. We can now see through the lens of God to the world. And then lastly, uh, the logos can also be used, that God has this unique ability to create life By simply speaking a word. He spoke and the world took form. He spoke and humanity came into being. For example, when I speak, like even in this moment, in a sense of me, in a sense, like a part of me is coming out. Something about me and who I am and my character and my substance is revealed as I talk. As I share stories about my life and my family and I talk about my faith, you are discovering parts of me. But also with our words, uh, they can take on an independent life of their own that is separated from us. So it kind of, kind of reveals who we are, but it also creates something else. It creates new situations that change the way we live and think. And for example, like I love you, it, it changes things. It's time to go. March 2020, you must stay indoors, or you're fired, or I have a dream. All of those kind of words initially then went, go on to create new realities, new situations and circumstances. You see, in the same way when the logos is heard, the word of God, the character and the heart of God is revealed. And at the same time, new life is created to which we can respond. And this logos, this word, John will go on to reveal, I'm sure many of you saw this one coming, is God's one and only son, Jesus Christ. That through Jesus, we encounter the one who holds all things together, in whom everything else finds its reference and its sense of reason. In Jesus, we encounter the wisdom of God that is both holy and set apart and other and distinct, yet also intimately close and relatable and in our midst. And in Jesus, we find God himself revealed to us. Jesus's words of life and truth that show us what God is really like. And if you want to know what God is like, simply look at Jesus and you will find out in the beginning was the word there are so many other things that I could say at this point but let me just finish that bit with this this is the dawn of a new creation, of all things new, the arrival of Jesus who will work ultimately in his cross and resurrection and then continually alongside his followers towards the renewal of all things. You know, to move from like conceptual for a moment uh, and just move into personal. There is a God who loves you. There is a God who values you and who specializes in new beginnings and fresh starts. So maybe for you today, you have come here and you, you feel a bit stuck and you've been trying to kind of live your life your own way and you've realized it does not work and you need something better. You need a new direction. Maybe you are racked with guilt. Because of something that's happened or something that you have done, a past regret. Maybe you thought you had it all together, but you've lost a business or a relationship and you didn't realise what you had until it's now gone. Maybe you've grown weary and you feel burnt and exhausted. Or some of you, some of us maybe have become cynical and maybe you've been praying and longing for an answer, but the dial is just not shifting. There is a new beginning For you. That God creates, speaks life, ushers in a new creation as if to say, in Jesus, today is the first day of the rest of your life. Today, Jesus speaks his words of life, of peace, of comfort, of forgiveness, of fresh direction into your world and reality. The sun is rising and hope is alive. Clue and framework number two the word became flesh. Um, The three main religions of the world today, Judaism, Islam and Christianity, they all trace their roots back to this biblical book of Genesis where God makes his promise to a couple named Abraham and Sarah. But the dividing point between Christianity and the other two is this, God became a person. John 1, 14, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Everything, I'll say that again, everything in the Christian faith hinges on this phrase, the Word became flesh. The miraculous move of God to become an embodied person named Jesus. J.I. Packer, a brilliant English born Canadian theologian, so popular in our house, argues um, that the incarnation of Jesus, not the resurrection of Jesus, is the key point where the biblical story gets defined. He says this bound up in the Christmas message of the incarnation that meaning God becoming flesh, being born in a manger, is the, is the Easter message, of, let's start that again, bound up in the Christmas message of the incarnation is the Easter message of the atonement. For if Jesus was not made man, then we remain in our sins. See, God becoming human matters because our story is grounded in fact-checked, proven history that there was a man named Jesus from a town named Bethlehem that is a physical place today who died and was buried and then rose again in a city named Jerusalem around the year AD 30. No reasonable historian would, uh, of any faith or background would argue with those facts, but there is something so much more powerful than just simply historical account. The word became flesh moves us from historical sentiment to something deeply personal. The word became flesh is the starting point of our hope and our courage and our healing and our forgiveness and our entire relationship with God Himself. And I love this phrase from a pastor in Portland called Tyler Staton. He says, This God took on a body. Because it because it is really hard to be loved by a doctrinal statement. You see, sin leaves us with more than just a need for information, more than just a need for a statement or sentimentalism. What we need is pursuing love. Pursuing love in the person of Jesus with a great passion, a great desire, a mission to bring healing, restoration and redemption for you and for the world. You see, to believe in the birth of Jesus is to believe that you are God's very good creation and his great passion is to heal and redeem you. That is why God comes in human form. He dignifies our bodies by living in one. Jesus knows what it's like to walk in your shoes. He has shown us how to live a life of freedom and fulfillment. And you might think, well, that's all right for Jesus. Like he can live a good life. Like he's God, but like with flesh on, like that's easy for him. But think about the life that he lived. He experienced deep pain at the betrayal of friends. He experienced deep grief at the loss of loved ones. He experienced persecution, rejection, abuse, homelessness. He experienced friendship and family and work and education. He experienced comparison and competition from others. He went through all of that so that you might know the dignity of being loved by God. Or in John's language, that you might come to believe that when God looks at you, that when God sees you, your life in your body, in your neighborhood lived today, that when God sees that, he sees something so beautiful, so precious, so valuable, that he would give himself to heal and redeem it. See, Jesus doesn't want to just give you trite comfort contained to a start stro- stro- again. Jesus doesn't want to give you trite comfort contained in a scrollable post. He wants you to experience the full and embodied reality of living life with Him. See, John ten ten says this. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have life to the full. God has made himself available to you. He wants real, authentic, personal connection with you. To know forgiveness and freedom even after you've been betrayed by a friend to know comfort during the grief of losing a loved one, to know dignity and worth, even when you are rejected, abused, outcast, lonely, to know purpose and value in friendships, in work, in family, in education, and to know the acceptance and confidence of being a child of God when you are being compared to and you are comparing yourself to others, and so much more. The word became flesh. And our final and I'll finish with this, our final clue and framework for today is in four and five. In him was life, and that life was the light for all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And who here, um, who here is afraid of the dark? No one's admitting it. Again, I feel like this is a bit like the hononym question. Um, It's like, pick easier questions, John. Um, I'm not like super afraid of the dark per se, um, but I wouldn't take the dark out for coffee um, or like spend time with it going to the football on Saturday. Like we're kind of, we're not mates. Um, Just the other night, um, I was attempting to get back into bed after um, a glorious interruption from sleep by one of our children. Um, And I had that agonizing moment where you, and I know you've done this before, where um, you think to yourself, who left this like three-inch, incredibly hard, extremely jagged pterodactyl on the floor exactly where I would get in and out of bed? So infuriating. What I really need to do at night, ideally, is to walk around with a torch. I would see pterodactyls coming off uh, a mile away. You know, one of the things that happens when you shine light into darkness is that it exposes what was hiding. It exposes what was hiding. Jesus has come to give life to the full to bring you peace and comfort and joy and hope. And he has also come to expose darkness. N.T. Wright explains it like this The word challenged the darkness before creation and now challenged the darkness that is found tragically within creation itself. The word Jesus is bringing into being the new creation at which God says once more, Let there be light. You see, Jesus' humility exposes the power structures of our world, showing that ultimate power is not found in force or coercion, it's found in sacrificial love. Jesus' authority exposes the devil's schemes that attempt to thwart and destroy God's good creation. He shows how to heal and restore and redeem And as we've seen so far in each of these sections, that it is not only this cosmic story of good versus evil that is happening here, but this is a personal encounter for you, the reader, a personal encounter with a God of pure light that exposes the parts of yourself that you do not want to admit And it exposes the parts of yourself that ultimately do not belong to you because you belong as a child of the light. You see, Jesus exposes our sin our selfishness, our short tempers, our broken patterns of behavior and our addictions. And he exposes them in a way that says, your disordered loves are leading you into destruction and away from God's good plan and purpose for your life. But by his grace, by his good, glorious, sweet grace in his kindness, he provides a way through the cross to find true redemption, true freedom, true life in his light. So let me finish where I started. The purpose of John's gospel. These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. See, John's gospel is not just telling you what Jesus did but who he was and why that life requires a response. Jesus ushering in a new creation, a new peace, a new hope, that meaning today is the first day of the rest of your life, regardless of what happened yesterday. Jesus walked in your shoes and shown you a way to be truly human, made in his image. And Jesus, in his grace, leads you out of darkness and into his glorious light, Remind you he is for you, he is for you, he is with you. So today, what is your response going to be? How now shall you live? John 1, 12, 13. I'm going to finish with this. To all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gives the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent or of human decision or desire, but born of God. Jesus, help us to believe.